We now begin the 10th chapter, the final chapter of Bavakama. This is Perik Yud Mishnah Aleph, 10.1. And this mission really has two separate points that are essentially unrelated, and the Gemara is divided to Mishnayas. Now, the first topic is how children are to deal uh, with their obligations that's left to them by their parent. Let's say the father stole something, and now if and when do the children need to uh, compensate the victims of their father. So... Let me just speak it out a little bit outside first because the words are scant in the Mishnah. For starters, if something is stolen uh, from someone, so then if, you know, if, if Shimon steals Reuven's car and the car is parked in front of, you know, Shimon's driveway, so then it's still Reuven's car and nothing's going to change that, as you saw in the previous parak. So that would mean, of course, that um, the obligation of Heshavisa Gazela to return the stolen object applies um, because it's it belongs to the original owner. The fact that it's just not his control currently doesn't mean it's not his. Would that be the case? Certainly, if a, the car thief dies and he leaves children, and the children now inherit you know the home of their father, and there in the driveway sits the stolen car. Of course, the stolen car has to go back to the original owner because it belongs to him. Things are a little more complicated. If the original owner is Miyaesh, if he gives up hope of getting the car back. Once the person gives up hope of getting a stolen object back, so essentially he, he abandons it and therefore whoever now has it would take control. Okay, and that would mean then potentially the kids now um, could become the owners, the legal owners of this effectively abandoned car. That's point number one. Now point number two. When uh, children inherit from their parents, so the child doesn't have an obligation to repay the debts of the parents per se. That's not, and the debts would include, you know, having stolen from someone and having to pay back the value of what was stolen. Uh, that said, creditors and victims of theft uh, and the like do have a claim on the estate that the child is inheriting. As far as the Torah and the Mishnah is concerned, that that encumbrance, that lien that attaches to the estate um, from which the creditor or the victim of the theft could collect is uh, only true if we're, with respect to real assets, meaning property. Property is encumbered, has like a lien, like sort of like a mortgage to the bank, so to speak, whereas metaltalin, which is like chattel and, and cash, according to the Mishnah, because of Torah law, is not encumbered, which would mean... Simply put, if um, the father stole $100 from the victim, he dies and he leaves a bank account which has, you know, any amount of money, a thousand, a hundred, ten, a million, makes no difference, um, to the children. And that's all the children inherit. They're just getting a bank account with cash. So then A, the children have no obligation to repay their father's victim because it's not their victim. And B, the victim has no claim on uh, the estate that the kids inherited because it's only cash and cash is not a real asset, it's not, not something that's called a davar something which carries a potential lien, and Torah, and the Mishnah's law, and therefore um, the children would be able to keep the cash, no problem. If the children inherited the bank account and also inherited the farm from their father, so the farm would pass them with an existing encumbrance, it would be leaned effectively by halacha to the creditors or to the victim of the father. So when the kids inherit it, it's like, same way the bank, if the bank has a mortgage, then the kids get the house. The bank's mortgage still is, you know, comes first. So too, if the father had a farm, 
and he stole money from somebody, that somebody now like is owed the hundred dollars, and the hundred dollars attaches itself to the farm, such that when the kids inherit um, the farm and the bank account, so that although they don't have an obligation to repay, so to speak, the victim of the theft has a right to claim the hundred dollars um, from um, the estate because they have a lien on the on the farm. Okay, because it's it's uh, real assets. Now, <clears throat> that's true according to the Mishnah. After the Talmudic period, the Gaonim enacted that the encumbrance that a creditor has or a victim of theft has um, on the estate should also attach itself not just to real assets, but also, like property, uh, but also to metaltlin, other chattels, movable objects. So that means um, all the jewelry and whatever it is, the, the cash, all that kind of stuff, car in the driveway, all these things become also encumbered, midurabonin, um, so that the creditor or the victim of the theft could collect from those as well. That's not what the mission says, but that's the halacha lemaisa. Okay. Um, so that being the case, the mission says inside, hagozel, if one steals, that's the father, umachil esbanov, and then he um, feeds his children uh, you know, with the proceeds of what he sale, sold. So that means that the kids kind of got indirect benefit. There's nothing really ma- magical about um, children. It'd be true if he fed it to you know, his neighbors or friends as well. The point is, even though the kids essentially got to get the benefit of what was stolen, <clears throat> so then it um, doesn't matter. They'll still be exempt from having to pay. That, of course, assumes that what they ate didn't still belong to the original owner. Meaning, if there hadn't been some sort of yeush or some sort of shinui that enabled you know this to stop being the possession of the victim, so when the kids, you know, the father steals an apple from the from the victim, and the children eat that apple, so the children effectively are thieves, right? Because they're eating the victim's apple. Then of course they would have to pay. That's not the case of our mission here. Um, or the mission says the full sentence reads: Hagozal umachles banav. If one steals something and feeds it to his children. The, this vav here is an or, not an and. Or, like a different, essentially unrelated case. He uh, He leaves an estate over for them, and that estate is, is, contains um, the derivatives of of uh, ill-gotten gains. So the father stole something, and he sold it, and that's the proceeds. The father stole the wood, and it turned into a table. So now there's the table that came from the stolen wood sitting in the living room of the the children who are now the heirs. The children don't need to pay back. In other words, even if they know full well that the table sitting in the living room is uh, was made of wood that their father stole, they can they don't have an obligation to return the table or even the value of the stolen wood to the victim of their father. That's not their obligation. However, however, if included in the estate was anything which um has effect, it's called the Dover Shesh Bokhrais, it has like a lien attached to it by halacha. So in other words, they didn't just inherit the table, but they inherited the whole apartments, which they own from the father. So then, chayavan l'shalem, then they will have to pay back the victim, because the victim of the theft says, listen, the wood that your father stole was worth $100, and therefore I effectively have like a $100 lien on your apartment. You pay me 100 bucks, or I'll, you know, repossess the apartment. Um, but with no apartment, if it was just, you know, all they owned was the table and cash, then they wouldn't have to pay back anything at all. That's what the Mishnah says. Again, the halacha, not true. The halacha, we say it since the Gonos time, also the table, our cash would be encumbered as well. That's the first part of the Mishnah. Now, the second part of the Mishnah effectively is like a new world altogether, and it's discussing the impropriety of getting benefit uh, from stolen goods. Now, we're going to discuss later on, not in this Mishnah, um, that Isser Doraisa of Lifne Iver, uh, the prohibition of putting a stumbling block in front of 
the blind, which essentially also means facilitating someone to do an Avera um, directly, where if the person wouldn't be able to do it, if not thanks to the, your participation, that's already considered to be an Isra Um If you're not a, you're facilitating, helping the guy to do it, but without you, he still could have done it or would have done it, then it's only an Isra Durabun of Misiela de Varavera to assist, to sort of aid and abet in the crime. Um, but even if you're not getting any benefit, if you're just essentially um, getting some weak indirect benefit, the two examples of the Mishnah here are essentially making change, you know, breaking a big coin into smaller coins, um, or getting money for tzedakah. So both those things are not really getting much benefit. You're not, even so, if the source of the funds that you're making change with or um, getting tzedakah from is 100% ill-gotten gains, so then it just... This is in Durban of remission here. It's improper. It's muguna. It's not. It's not appropriate to to use, even get such sort of indirect benefit from those those monies. Okay. So the two examples of our mission are going to be essentially different kinds of tax collectors. Um, one is called a moches, and one is called a gabai. <clears throat> the moches is someone who charges. Um, on the movement of goods or people. So, you know, when you, if you cross over the border, you have to pay for, like, customs taxes. Um, and a, a gabai tax is not people on the move crossing borders, but people who locally, it's like a head tax on the residents. Everyone pays, you know, a dollar a year or whatever, and that kind of thing. So, um, that's tax collection. Now, tax collection could come in one of two ways. It could be essentially legitimate tax collection, uh, which is not considered thievery. So that means if, like, the government-authorized... Um, this tax collector to collect taxes, you know, we take a 1% tax and everything that comes over the border. Um, so that's dina de la dina. The rule is that uh, the law of the land is the halacha, and therefore it's legitimate. Again, provided that, the execution of that charge that the tax collector does is done fairly. In other words, he charges everyone that same percentage as they cross the border. Um, uh, whereas similarly, the, the, the gabai is collecting head tax, everyone pays, you know, a dollar a year, and that's what they collect, okay? If, however, the tax collector, the moches, or the gabai is doing something illegitimate, that means either A, he's based just a mafioso, he set up, you know, he has a, he made up a roadblock, and he says everyone passes this, you know, roadblock, or pass down this part of the river, whatever the story is, has to pay me 10% of what they're crossing the border, or else, you know, uh, then that's not legitimate, of course, and that would be considered essentially that's theft. Okay? Or even if they were authorized by the government to collect these customs taxes, but they don't administer it fairly, they say, oh, you're rich, they'll take a little extra, or they extort you a little bit and take a little more, it's administered fairly. So then that's considered to be ill-gotten gains, that's essentially boiled down to being theft. And those um, those monies, the monies that end up in the safe of the tax collector, if it's an illegitimate tax collector, so then that, those monies are ill-gotten gains. So, says our Mishnah, if you have a tax collector who has been, who is unlawful and essentially is a criminal collecting illegally, so then you shouldn't even poret. Poret is give one big coin to get back small coins, like to make change. I think that probably the better way to think about it in our days is to, you know, you need shekels and the guy has dollars, so you, you try to do an exchange of currency. It's that kind of thing. I'm saying that because there was sort of a spread between the big and small coin, kind of like there's a spread between the dollar and shekel. In any case, so the point is you shouldn't make some benefit, even if it's for yourself, just to get change because you're participating uh, and getting some indirect benefit of these stolen goods, and that is maguna. It's simply not appropriate. 
And same, so it's important, lo meteva tamochsen, not from like the box, like the safe of the tax collectors, lo mekis shel gabain, or from like the wallet, I'll call it, of the local tax collectors, the gabai. They notlin mehen tzedakah, and similarly, you shouldn't even accept tzedakah from these people, um, from their from their safe or you know from their wallet, because essentially you're taking kind of laundering the money, right? You're taking this this uh, illegally gotten funds and you're giving it to whoever you're giving it to. It's simply not appropriate. <clears throat> the Miri actually says the Isser is uh, that you shouldn't like sort of give them a stamp of approval that what they're doing is okay because you know some percentage of the money is going to tzedakah. Um, at all events, that's assuming that it was illegally obtained. Now, the next part of the mission assumes that these tax collectors, even if they're doing something illegal in terms of their collecting of quote-unquote taxes, it's just basic extortion, um, if they have other sources of funds as well that are kosher sources, so that means that their personal funds are commingled with money gotten illegally and money gotten legally. If that's the case, so then you don't have to say, listen, all this person's money, even his personal money, is tainted because some of it's become... From, it's come from you know illegal sources. No, says the Mishnah, you may accept private funds from like the from the neighbor next door, from even if he's a tax collector. Meaning, if you you go to your neighbor and say, "Listen, I need to make change. Can you make me change?" You could ask him, even if you know he's an illegal tax collector, because if the funds are coming from his personal funds, we assume the funds are commingled with illegal money as well as legal money, and that has to be the case. It has to be that he has some legitimate source of funds as well. Or same goes, you know, you say, my neighbor, tell the neighbor, you know, my friend's making a wedding, he needs to have money, could you give towards it? And he gives money. Again, the money coming for the tzedakah there is from a source which is commingled illegitimate and legitimate money, and we'll say it's coming from legitimate. And same goes, o minashuk, or in the marketplace, meaning this tax collector guy comes to your storefront, he wants to buy a new pair of shoes, he reaches into his personal wallet, um, and pays from his personal funds. So yes, maybe some of his funds came through illegal activity of illegal tax collection, extortion, whatever the story is. But assuming he has other sources of legitimate income, so then one's allowed to accept his money when he sells the pair of shoes to this guy because he'll say, listen, the money that I'm accepting is from the from legitimate source. And that would be, uh, yes, acceptable.